Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Riders Festival Radio. We are broadcasting from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe people. Today, we continue our Republic of Childhood season with War at the Snow White Motel with Tim Wynn Jones. My name is Aidan Wilson, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. I'm a student at Lisgar Collegiate in Ottawa, and I am the co-founder of the Republic of Childhood. Special thanks to the Ottawa Public Library and Library and Archives Canada for their collaboration in our virtual season. It's all available online at writersfestival.org, and all you need to do to connect with some of the world's most acclaimed authors is click play. Please consider making a donation to support our virtual programming, as it may be a long while before we are able to gather again in person. We also want to thank the Ottawa Community Foundation and the Tell Us Friendly Future Foundation for supporting our virtual Republic programming. Tim Wynne-Jones is one of Canada's foremost writers for children. The author of over 35 books, he's a two-time winner of the Governor General's Award, as well as a two-time winner of the Boston Globe Horn Book Award and of the Arthur Ellis Award. He recently spent time virtually with David Farley's English class at Fisher Summit Alternative Public School. Here are some excerpts from their time together. Perfect. So, Anastasia, Oliver, Angus, Kai, Ada, you all right? All right, here we go. So I think Anastasia's gonna lead us off. Hi, we are Anastasia, Oliver, Angus, and Kai, along with the rest of students of class A8A in Summit Alternative School, located near downtown Ottawa. Over the past few weeks, we've been reading and discussing Tim Wynn Jones' latest book, War at the Snow White Motel, a collection of nine short stories. Today, at the invitation of the Ottawa International Writers' Festival, we have the opportunity to talk with the author. The Writers' Festival was born in 1997 and in 1999 introduced the Writers in Schools program, which has connected over 100 Canadian and international writers with more than 30,000 young writers or learners. The Republic of Childhood, launched in 2017, is designed to center on the voices and experiences of young people. It is a direct response to teachers, parents, librarians, and of course, kids, who desire more writing experience when we are front and center in the delivery of books, stories, and the writing life. Hi, Tim Wynn Jones. Thanks so much for meeting with our class today to talk about your latest book, Snow War at the Snow White Motel. Uh, stories read by our class and teacher, Mr. Farley, were War at the Snow White Motel, Ant and the Praying Mantis, and we listened to a recording of The House Made of Dragonfly Wings by Tim Wynn Jones. Uh, the rest were read in small groups. We're wondering if you would like to give us a little background about uh, this book as a whole before we talk about some individual stories. Well, I love writing short stories because mostly because they're short, and that means you can read you can read it all at once, and and that's that's fun. So I, even though I I've written a lot of novels, um, every now and then I I love to just write a, a short story and um, and just get into it. I think you'll find at the back of the book. I describe describe where each of these stories came from in the afterward. You can just have a one little idea to write a short story. You don't have to have a whole bunch of characters. You don't have to have uh, uh, you know lots of different settings and moving around. It's all just one one thought carried out. And so that's what these are. They're all different characters. The first character, the the actual story, the, the war at the Snow White Hotel, is um, is Rex. Uh, Rex Zero, who is who is the protagonist of uh, three novels I've written about Ottawa, set in the in the uh, 60s, in the 1960s, 
this was going to be the uh, fourth novel, and it just didn't work out. It was just one of those novels that just went all over the place, and there were too many, too much going on. And so I put it away, but then I took out the first part of it, the, the first chapter, and made it into, and completely rewrote it, and made it into a short story. I think I'll do, I'll just do a little 10 minute reading, if that's okay. Um, and you've already read War at the Snow White Motel, but I still want to read the, the first part of that um, because I just love reading it. Okay. War at the Snow White Motel. It's August the 4th, 1964, and we're spending the night at the Snow White Motel in Vermont. We're on our way from Ottawa. Dad's gone into the office, which is through a bright red door in Snow White's yellow gold dress. The top part of Snow White, White towers above the office. She's wearing her black vest and puffy blue sleeves and that high white collar, just like in the Disney movie. And she has her hand up to either side of her head in surprise, which is easy to understand. It would be pretty surprising having people coming in and out of your dress all day long. Dad's taking a long time. I stare at the vacancy sign on the lawn. It's Doc, the dwarf, holding a wooden plaque, but there's a little flap before the word vacancy. I guess that behind that flap is the word no. So why is dad taking so long? Maybe there's a skill testing question. You can't stay at the motel unless you can name all the dwarfs. Maybe he needs my help. Do you think dad needs my help? I asked mom. No, Rex, you just stay put, she said. It's because of the highway, says mom. It's a pretty pokey highway, says Annie. What does he think I'm going to do, run out in the middle of it? Uh, yes, probably, says mom. Which would make more room back here, I say, and get a pointy elbow right in the ribs. Ow! I hope we get to stay in the sleepy cabin, says Florabella, yawning. Will Snow White come and kiss us goodnight? Asks Rupert. He sounds a little scared. He's kneeling on the front seat, looking up at Snow White, who is smiling down on the parking lot. One of her fingers is missing at the first knuckle. There's bird poop on her shoulder, and the paint is peeling on her right cheek, which makes it look as if she's got acne. Mom hugs Rupert. I'm not sure, she says, but I certainly will. Then she gives him a good tickle. She is so happy to be on holiday. I am too, but I'm sure tired of being in this car on a hot August afternoon. We've been on the road since before it got light. There's only the four of us kids this time. My two older sisters stayed home because they have summer jobs. It's sort of too bad because Letitia would have loved this place. She kind of lives in a fairy tale, even though she's 16. Always dreaming that someday her prince will come. Is the prince in Snow White charming, or is that Cinderella's guy? I ask. I think so, says Mom, not very helpfully. Bart, says Annie Oakley. She hates fairy tales and princesses and princes and, well, pretty well everything, especially me. Finally, Dad comes out of the office holding up two keys attached to wooden dwarfs. Hooray! We tumble out of the car and Dad hands Annie a key. It's grumpy. Perfect. You two will have to share a cabin, he says to me and Annie. Oh, not perfect. What? says Annie. She makes it sound like he just told us the cabin was a snake pit. I don't think that's a good idea, I say. 
You can say that again, says Annie, but don't. She makes a fist at me. Now, now, you two, says Mom, it's just for one night. My last night on earth, I find myself thinking. I sneeze as soon as I step through the doorway. It's not sneezy, says Annie Oakley. You're so stupid. Sorry, I say. Not as sorry as you're going to be if you step across this line, says Annie. She's plucked a bunch of fake flowers from a vase on the windowsill and is placing them in a line, splitting the room in half with one twin bed on one side and one twin bed on the other. There aren't many flowers. It's not much of a wall. But when she finishes, she turns and glares at me. Well, what about the bathroom, I ask. The door is right in the middle. Good idea, she says. You can sleep in there. I just meant, I know what you meant, she says, and marches along the line of flowers, growling like a tiger in a cage. You'd give anything to get out and eat me. I shake my head wearily and go sit on my bed. It's got a grumpy comforter on it. Meanwhile, Annie has grabbed her bathing suit from her suitcase and gone into the bathroom to change. She slams the door. There's a little desk on my side of the room with a wooden chair. For just a moment, I think of sticking the back of that chair under the bathroom knob, like they do in movies, so that the person in the other room can't get out. But Annie would get out, even if she had to knock the whole door down. And then it really would be my last night on Earth. The swimming pool is shaped like a heart. No, wait, it's an apple. Of course, the poisonous apple Snow took a bite of that sent her into a coma. Sort of weird, really, when you think about it. Who'd want to swim in a poisonous pool? No one, by the look of it. Pool is empty. All that delicious coolness just lying there, sparkling in the late afternoon sun. There's music coming from somewhere. Top 40 radio. Right now, it's the Shoop Shoop song. There are a few people tanning on their towels or sitting in deck chairs soaking up the sun. No one from my family other than Annie. She's walking around the pool with her arms tight across her chest, glaring at the water as if it's filled with alligators, and she's trying to decide which one she's going to wrestle first. Poison or not, alligators or not, I'm hot, and I want into that pool. I head straight for the diving board, take a big bounce, as big a bounce as I can off the end, and cannonball into the water. Splash! I drift down into the blue coolness, my eyes wide open. Glug, glug. Glug. There is only watery sunlight down here, as if the sun was a big yellow china ball that someone smashed into little shards and sprinkled on the blue tile floor. My goggles aren't on tight enough and water seeps inside, so with a little kick at the bottom, I drift to the surface. Hey, you! A voice booms above me. I grab the lip of the pool. And I also grab a mouthful of water, which makes me cough and cough. There was a large pair of hairy feet planted right beside my hand. My vision is all swimmy as I look up through goggles full of water, way up past a pair of Superman legs, a pair of yellow bathing trunks with palm trees on them, a chest big enough to pitch a tent on to a face glaring down at me as if I am a a toad, and the only thing stopping him from squashing me is that he doesn't have his toad-squashing boots on. Then I see the comic book in his hand. It's sopping wet. What do you think you're doing? He shouts. I'm coughing up a lung. That's what I'm doing. If I were smart, 
I just let go of my hold and sink into the deep end and drown. Now another guy joins the first. They're both teenagers, the first with a blonde buzz cut and the other with squirrely black hair. They're wearing shades and glaring at me. The Shoop Shoop song has finished. In the background, Roy Orbison is singing, it's over. I asked you a question, says Buzzcut. You got a brain in your head, says Squirrel. I cough up some more of the pool, and Squirrel steps back as if I'm going to throw up on his feet. Meanwhile, Buzzcut squats down so he's as near to me as he can get. He's poised like he's a catcher, and my head is a fast ball he's going to whip to second base as soon as he gets his hands on it. See this, he says. He holds up the soaking comic book. It's strange tales. Squirrel squats beside him. He asked you if you saw what you did, brat. I nod and gulp, and Buzzcut swats me over the head with the soaking comic book. Once, twice, three times. Did you stop to look what you was doing, shouts Buzzcut? You ever think about anyone but yourself? What are you, just some kind of, some kind of depth charge? It, it's a lot of questions, and he hasn't stopped hitting me with the soggy comic. All I can do is avert my eyes and hunch my shoulders and take it while little wet ragged bits of Captain America fall all around me. Slap, slap, slap. Yeah, says Squirrel, when Buzzcut finally stops to take a breath. You got any idea what's going on here? No, I think. No idea at all. And that's when I see what they can't see. Annie Oakley sneaking up behind them. She glares at me not to look at her. And so I look at Buzzcut and blurt out, well, I'm sorry. As if my life ain't bad enough, says Buzzcut. Jeez Louise. Meanwhile, Annie has slipped out of her yellow flip-flops and she's raising her right foot. No, I want to shout, but wham. I duck just in time as Buzzcut goes barreling over my head into the pool. What the? And bam, Squirrel's next. I don't wait around to see what happens. I clamber out of the pool and take off toward the cabin named Grumpy. Then I stop and turn around. The guys are shouting, no, no, don't, don't. And he's standing right at the edge of the pool with their transistor radio in her hands, holding it high above the water. I'm 50 yards away, but I swear I can see the evil gleam in her eyes. I turn and beat it back to the cabin while the beetles sing a hard day's night. Okay, so that's a, that's the first few bits of the first story in the, in the book. I'm taking a bow. You can't see it, but I'm taking a bow. Thanks a lot. Well, which story that you've written is your favorite story in the collection? Oh, boy. Whatever I'm writing is the the thing I like most. But with each of these stories, I don't know. I just felt like I just got into each of them. I suppose War at the Snow White Motel is sort of my my favorite because of Rex Zero. He's a character I really like. I've written a lot of books about him. I've written three novels about him. And I like that story. Um, and I like the fact that it's a, a little bit of historical fiction because the it, it, it tells a story about, you know, the beginning of the, the Vietnam War. But I like all the other ones, too. Uh, it's uh, it's hard to say. Anastasia has another one. Um, how much okay. time do you spend each week writing and reading? 
I spend every day. Um, that's what I do for a living. So I, I, I come up to my desk. Um, I go for a walk in the morning and then I come in and I sit down at my desk and I write. But you, you said a really interesting thing because a lot of writing is reading. I mean, you spend more time reading than you do writing because every, you, you write and write and then you check it over. You read it through and you make changes and then you read it again and make some more changes and you read it again. And so I, I literally spend as much time reading, at least as much time reading as I do writing. And I write it every day, um, mostly in the morning. I like to try to start writing really early because I'm really, um, my brain works better in the morning than it does later in the day. And that's different for different writers. I know, I know one writer, a really good science fiction writer named Robert Sawyer. We were talking about this and he's, he doesn't start writing until about nine o'clock at night. And then he'll write like all like well into the morning, like two or three or four in the morning. But I couldn't do that because I'm just too, I get too tired. But uh, yeah, it's all different for everybody. But I like to write in the morning. All right. So there's uh, some people in our class that have questions that I'm going to call on now. Lewis has a question. Where do you get your ideas to write your book? You know, that's one of the questions people always ask. And it's kind of a, it's a good question. It's a really good question. It's also a really hard question because some of the ideas come from, you know, just other books. Like you're reading, and I don't mean you copy somebody else's idea, but you're, you're reading a story and you start thinking, wow, what if this had happened instead of what happens in the story? Um, but also just from looking around, like, um, Wherever I am, I'm always looking around and so, kind of like a detective. I'm always looking for a story. So if I'm, uh, you know, if I'm, I'm always checking out what's going on and wondering, uh, wondering if anything, if that could work into a story. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, so it, it, it's, uh, I'm, I guess when you're a writer, you're kind of writing all the time, or at least you're always thinking about it. This is a good way of describing where I get my ideas. My mom, when I was in, uh, when I was a kid in Ottawa, um, uh, she she would ask me when I got home from school, like, what did we do? Did, what did I do at school today? I always figured that that was like that was like my mother was giving me an invitation to make up a story. So I'd say, uh, oh yeah, I'm really glad you asked, Mom, because uh, you know I was. I was playing catch with Ronnie in, in, in homeroom. And I know you're not supposed to play catch in the classroom, but uh, we were, the teacher wasn't there yet. And I threw the ball kind of high and uh, Ronnie jumped for it. Um, and uh, unfortunately the window was open and Johnny caught the ball, but he fell out the, the window, the second story window of the school. And, but luckily, Annie was right there, and you know how fast she is. She grabbed him by the feet, but Ronnie's put on a bit of weight, so he dragged Annie out the window, and they both fell to the ground. Anyway, I'd go on like that, and eventually my mother would say something like, that's nice, dear, because she wasn't really listening to what I was saying. But in the meantime, I was having this a ball just trying to make up this ridiculous, completely lie, this complete lie about what happened at school that day. And so that's where ideas come from, just lying, I guess. <laughs> it's fiction. It's made up. That's a bit worrying. <laughs> well, I'm not a lawyer. 
I'm making up stories and I tell you they're, they're, they're fiction. So you, you, you don't have to believe anything I say. We listened to a house made out of dragonfly wings. It was a great story. I personally liked it quite a lot. Is there a connection to nature in both the story and the song? Is there like a connection to your interest in architecture? Like because it's a house made out of dragonfly wings, which are not the greatest material I would suggest. <laughs> yeah, I know you you wouldn't get much uh, warmth out of a uh, out of a house like that. That's a really interesting question because I'm always like, like I, I, yeah, um, I did want to be an architect um, when I was a, a kid, and um, uh, and I guess I often have things in my stories that are about houses, imaginary ones and fantasy ones, and uh, so that that's probably true. The song, I did. You get to hear the song. Yeah, it's a very good song. And songs are the first thing I ever wrote. Like when I joined a band, okay, I was in architecture. I don't know if you know this story. I don't know if it's written down anywhere. I was in architecture, but then I, uh, after three years, they threw me out of the architecture school because they were afraid that if uh, I built buildings, they people might die. I wasn't very good at it. Um, so I joined a rock band in Toronto and I started writing songs. And that's when I first started writing. Our uh, final word here from Oliver, uh, he'll give us our final send off. I just wanted to thank, uh, thank you, Tim Wood Jones, and the, uh, uh, the Ottawa Writing Festival for uh, uh, coming to talk with us here today. Well, uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Oliver. That was Tim Wynne-Jones in conversation with David Farley's English class on his amazing new collection of stories, War at the Snow White Motel. Thank you for joining us. Our next episode also appears today, and it features a conversation about student activism with Alexis Benz and on reimagining emancipatory possibilities for schooling with educator Vidya Shah. I hope you'll join us. This podcast is produced by Aaron Flynn. Original music and sound engineering by Mike Dubey. Kira Harris is the festival's program director. Neil Wilson and Taya Yateman are my fellow co-founders of the Republic of Childhood, and I'm Aiden Wilson. Thank you all for listening.